Plane Crazy Down Under's coverage of the Australian International Air Show is proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation marketplace. Make buying and selling aircraft easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. Well, g'day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 59, Avalon Quickcast number six. And thank goodness, Grant, I think we're going to need a long, long rest after this one's oh, finished, mate. mate, I'm going home for a few beers after this one. It's uh, It's been one heck of a show. Uh, we're already a few hours into it. Uh, the last day, the crowds are huge. The weather is gorgeous. Blue skies, enormously warm here. It's 28 degrees centigrade, which, uh, you know, for here, that's pretty good. Uh, normally, there's a cold southerly, but today it's a nor'easterly. And uh, have we going to have a great episode for you today? Absolutely. Now, we're standing out here on the fly line as we speak, and uh, a B1 bomber has just done a few passes and just landed in front of us. Absolutely spectacular, mate. Yeah, that's right. We've, uh, we're also standing near uh, Nikolai's uh, aerobatic Sukhoi, uh, Kent's Jelly Belly uh, Cadet, and uh, over in the background, we've got Bob's uh, rocket powered glider. Now, Grant, last night, uh, just before we finished up, you recorded a wonderful interview, which we're going to feature as our first off, first one off the rank uh, today. That's right. I had the privilege of sitting on the wing of the most beautiful combat jet aircraft, many would say, the uh, CA-27 Sabre. That's the Australian-built version of the F-86 with the uh, Sabre engine, uh, sorry, with the Avon engine in it. I'll get that right. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Paul Simmons, a.k.a. Simo, allowed me on the wing, and we had a great chat there. So uh, he talked about being an F-18 pilot, uh, the Australian demo pilot for a year and a half on exchange with the USAF uh, and uh, also what's involved in keeping that Sabre flying and uh, how he feels when he's flying it. It's it's pretty interesting. A fantastic interview and I'll tell you what Grant, the calibre particularly of the, uh, the the fighter pilots that we've spoken to during the week we've been here is, uh, you know, they, they speak so well and they, you know, they, they're really not a it really doesn't gel with the stereotype that you get, you know, the A-type, egotistical personality, very focused, highly intelligent, and they all speak so well. It's been a real privilege. Oh, yeah, they're excellent people. It's been a privilege to be here and speaking with them. We've got lots more interviews that we're going to be recording today. I'm going to try and chat to Nikolai, chat to Bob, and uh, we're going to ch- have, together have a chat with uh, Kent. So we'll uh, have some great material. If not in this show, it'll be in later ones. Absolutely. And we're going to uh, probably jam a little bit more into this quick, or not so quick, in fact, probably <laughs> a long cast for our last one here. Uh, a lot of interviews we want to tidy up before we go. We're going to pack a lot of them in here. We've spoken to Ian Honnery, the CEO of uh, Air Shows Down Under, and uh, he gives a uh, really glowing report of uh, how he, he thought the show's gone over the course of the week. Yep, that's right. We've also uh, squeezed in an interview, uh, a bit of a chat, with uh, Colonel Seth Betcher, from uh, the Pacific Air Force, who's the man responsible for putting the entire US contingent together and getting them here. And that's a great chat about uh, the uh, famous tanker relays. As always, uh, Timbo's tarmac in the keyhole with Papa Smurf. See if we can get him today, mate. He's a little busy yesterday. Oh, they've been hugely busy today. Uh, They've had lots going on. They've got a KC-10 sitting over there, as advertised, a KC-135 as well. There's all sorts of stuff going on over there. So uh, I imagine if I'm lucky, I'll be able to catch up with them just before they go for the well-earned beer at the end of the show. Absolutely, mate. Well, let's get busy and let's kick it off. Okay, here we go. Okay, we're sitting on the wing of the Sabre with uh, Paul Simmons, who is spelt the same way as our infrequent flyer, Anthony Simmons, for which he is That's extremely it. happy. It is. It's great. Don't often meet too many Simmonses yeah. spelt the correct way, there but you go. He's, he's there. Cool. Yeah, you two had a good little reunion on that. And I've got to say, mate, it took me a little bit of effort to get up on the wing of this aircraft. You made it look so damned easy, and I had to be helped on. That was kind of embarrassing, but, you know. 
literally you had to be helped on. Yeah, I know. It's kind of sad it's, on my upper well, body I mean, strength. The good thing is we're here talking. The bad thing is that uh, how embarrassing it was for you to get up. Oh, totally. But mm. at least getting off this hey, thing's going to be easy. Hats off, you're here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you, man. It's really good to be up here on the wing of f F-86 Sabre, or it's actually the CAC. Right. CAC. So, uh, so it's 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 to everyone else in the world, it's an F-86 Sabre, yeah. but to uh, Australians, it's a CAC. Absolutely, CAC or CA-27 Sabre. Okay. In fact, the Canadair Sabre was the yep. other version. So okay. Canadair built some in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and then Australian Commonwealth Air- Aircraft Corporation yep. built the CAC-27 Sabre. Yep, okay. And the difference between the standard F-86 and ours is the Avon engine, correct? Yeah, and uh, basically CAC-27 Sabre yep. has the Avon um engine yep. which required actually quite a bit of modification yeah. we wanted to put a british slash australian built engine into the airplane uh it took them about two years of additional engineering to make it happen okay and they actually almost they split the front fuselage in half and actually had to increase the, the size of the intake because the engine needed quite okay. a bit more air uh, wow. to get the full full thrust that's pretty impressive mate yeah, well, I mean, the, the Avon Sabre has 7,250 pounds of thrust, okay. which the only other Sabre of this variant, the classic variant, that had that bigger engine was the uh, Canadair Mark VI, okay. which had the Aranda engine. They had a, yeah. uh, the same thrust as we do. Okay. Now, uh, let's have a chat about yourself, mate. You are currently an F-18 pilot. I am. I do my best. <laughs> the uh, Some days are better than others. But now I've been in the Air Force for 22 years. Okay. So I started flying the F-18 in 1993 and was spent my first tour up in Northern Territory with 75 Squadron. I was picked up uh, fairly young to go and do our fighter combat instructor course or our Top Gun equivalent mm-hmm. course. And after completing that, I uh, spent uh, two and a half years at 77 Squadron in Williamtown as the fighter tactics instructor. Okay. And from there, I was fortunate to be selected to go to the US and fly the F-15E Strike Eagle. Oh, cool. Over there, I did a conversion onto the aircraft, became an instructor, and then spent two years teaching uh, American guys at the 333rd Fighter Squadron in North Carolina. Okay. Did you wind up doing any t- combat tours in the in the Desert Storm Middle East? Like no, Maddie I didn't. Did? I, uh, Maddie actually replaced me over there in the Strike okay. Eagle. So I was on my way home. He was there, and uh, so he was selected to go, and I was on an aeroplane heading back to Australia. <laughs> okay. So uh, when you got back to Australia, you, uh, you're you now training um, other other uh, F-18 senior pilots and things yeah, like I that? Yeah, I came back to... Uh, my job when I came back from Australia was as a fighter... as this almost kind of the senior fighter combat instructor to run the course. Mm-hmm. So I ran uh, the 50th anniversary uh, course in 2004 yep. and at 2OCU at the Hornet training unit and then from there I spent some time as the Hornet uh, standardisation officer was the aerobatic pilot for two and a half years I was fortunate enough to fly the blue uh, white and red F-18 that was oh, painted up for yeah. the 20th anniversary that was a beautiful paint it was gorgeous so I, yeah I was I got to go and bend the jet around the sky for two and a half years and uh then went back to 77 Squadron as the executive officer. Okay. And that's where you are at the moment? No, I was... Sorry, the story doesn't end quite. Oh, there you go. Uh, in 07, I actually became the first guy who was a per- what's called permanent part-time mm-hmm. as a fighter pilot, and I worked week on, week off, and I also head up a charity called Lift Youth Development. And what we do is use aviation-based programs to assist 
uh, young people who are deemed at risk mm -hmm. of either not finishing education or getting on the wrong side of the law. We help them with life skills through aviation-related programs. Brilliant. Mm. That's really good. So I now do that 50% um, of my time, and I, I fly 50% of my time. Uh, la late last year, the Air Force asked me to come back full-time from January to June to teach on our latest Top Gun course, which I'm doing cool. as we speak. Okay, and you're also able to get some time off to come and fly the Sabre? Yeah, well, I fly the Sabre actually as a this as an Australian Air Force uh, pilot. So I the Sabre itself is owned by the Air Force. It, there's an, a historic agreement with Tamora signed in 05 and where the aircraft was loaned long-term to Tamora. They paid completely for the restoration and provided the engineering effort. So that was David Lowy uh, and the Tamora Aviation Museum. So... Part of that deal was that there would be a Tamora pilot and there would be an Australian Air Force display pilot. And I'm fortunate enough to have been asked by the powers of be to, to do that job. It's tough, but yeah. I'm, I'm trying. To, you're, you're, you're really to working. Yeah, I'm, I'm working hard. But yeah. hey, you know, I, I'm doing all right. Yeah, you're really pushing for it. Yeah, so I know. Good. Don't feel too sorry for me. Mate, it looks, it looks like you're really sweating it when you're up there, mate. It looks like you're, you're just hating every minute of it. Well, look, I have a... It's funny, you know, because people say, you must love it. It's And look, it is a very cool jet, you know, mm. like the Sabre. It, it really redefined, set the standard for jet combat. However, the analogy that I can best use to describe the emotions I feel is like, this is a one-off in the world, i.e. a CAC Sabre with the Avon engine. And so when I'm asked to go and display the aircraft, it's like someone gives you a Ming vase mm. and they go, dude, this is really expensive <laughs> and it's rare, okay? But we want you to pick it up and hold it. So you pick it up and hold it and you feel a little nervous and then they go, nah, nah, actually, we don't want you to just pick it up and hold it. We actually want you to do a bit of juggling. Then they put you in front of a few thousand people and go, can you juggle this in front of a few thousand people, you know? So you get that feeling of like, I really hope I don't screw this up. Then you come back, and as I shut the aeroplane down at the end of a display, I think, that was that was good. <laughs> Ming Vars back on the stand. <laughs> I survived another bullet, you know, yeah. because the number of times, even at the air show here, where I get the old and bold Sabre guys, you know, engineers and also pilots, they go, if you bend that aeroplane, we're going to hunt you down. <laughs> so uh, there's a little bit of pressure. <laughs> oh, man, that is some serious pressure going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, that's mate. right. That is great. So how is she to fly? Ah, delightful. You know, it's taken, it's taken a little bit of time to get used to it, but the aircraft itself technically has was innovative. It was the cutting edge. Mm. The Sabre was actually, a lot of people don't know, but the Sabre first was, in its original form, had a straight wing okay. in the, in the mid-40s, uh, late 40s, and the Air Force had their requirements out for a new jet fighter. The F-84, had, um, they had the, the F-80 or the P-80, and, and so it had a straight wing and it just didn't meet the performance specs. They wanted something that was cutting edge, something that was um, going ahead. So North American were pretty smart. They said, well, let's take the aeroplane away and let's look at this German designing engineering on, on swept wing. So yeah. they put the swept wing in a tail and they changed the, they said, well, if we're going to fly fast, we also need to, to think about the, the flight controls. So they put a completely hydraulic flight control system into it. And when it came back, it was, it was a world beater. Wow. And uh, so right from the first flight, they knew they were on a winner and they had an aircraft that was really transonic. It could break, it can break the speed of sound in a steep dive from high altitude, but it, it uh, redefined that. And then the powered flight controls, um, which takes some getting used to, but right now the stick is locked solid in the cockpit. That's not because there's a control lock, it's just that with no hydraulic power, there's mm -hmm. no movement of the, of the control. So if I lose the primary hydraulic pump, which runs off the engine, 
um, I've got a backup hydraulic pump that runs from the battery uh, or from the generator and that's but that's only one tenth the capacity of the main system so it'll get you back on the ground yeah. it's just not to do combat or aerobatics um, but if I lose both of those the aircraft is effectively uncontrollable the the rudder is still mechanically um, controlled so it's just yeah. um, cables but uh, that's and the speed brakes are hydraulic as well so you've got a little bit of control and we'd actually practice it when I'm doing my conversion training as if we had lost all the hydraulics wow. and you can keep the nose sort of within the horizon band using speed brake and power and you can roll it using the rudder but the reality is you, you don't have enough control to land it no, and you'd end up having to jump out and the uh, is the seat active on this it is so tomorrow aviation have a museum has a, a policy and that is that if the aircraft was fitted with an injection seat in service it will have one in our museum inventory which for me as a pilot is comforting the Sabre actually doesn't have a great record in civilian hands it's it's quite a um it's quite a handful of an airplane especially for people that don't have fast jet background well in fact in the early 50s in nevada in las vegas when they were training guys on this i was reading an article uh some months ago and guys are literally completing their conversion and then handing their wings in because they it was they were killing guys at over a guy a week in the aircraft that's so that was going from the straight wing, the piston engine, to wow. now the, an engine with a very slow spool-up time. The swept wing is very critical. If you get it slow in the wrong place and you get low and slow and you get the engine power back, you're in a hole and you can't get out. Is that the and back side of the power curve? It's the back side of the power curve. Yeah. And we and fast jet pilots, especially flying old, precious, swept wing jets, don't like to live there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big area to avoid. We don't even like going there. <laughs> don't want to even look there. <laughs> if you can see it, you've gone too close. That's exactly right. <laughs> so I do some training where I stall the aircraft, so I go mm. up high, but I stall it up as close to 20,000 feet as I can just in case I screw it up. I've got room to recover. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's insurance. Whole, yeah, yeah, look, altitude is your best insurance That's when you're exactly. doing that stuff. That's exactly yeah, right. I've had a few aerobatics pilots say look there's nothing like altitude when you're mucking absolutely, around absolutely absolutely yeah. you know you don't want to learn too close to the ground no what else can you tell me about this baby what can i tell you about it well the cac saber also had two 30 millimeter cannons mm-hmm. uh we took out the 650 cals which is actually a common complaint from the americans the aircraft just didn't have a hitting power that yeah. the mig 15 had no punch um in combat the flight controls that i talked about previously actually is what gave it the edge the, the mig had some slightly superior performance at high altitude but the sabers flight controls allowed them to fight at very high speed and when the mig started to dive they had hydraulic sorry mandrolic uh, controls and that just got very very stiff whereas the saber was still maneuverable yeah the um, other things we built, the initial version that we built was a, called a Mark 31. And what that had was it had a slatted leading edge yeah. and it only had a single hard point for a fuel tank, which was actually the, the one in cl- a little closer yeah. than the one you can see on the wing now. Um, we, we only built a few of those. Then we went to the Mark 32. And uh, the biggest difference with the, the Mark 32, that I believe some early 32s, and I may be wrong, but I believe some early 32s had slatted wings. but we went to this hard wing and they what they call is the 6-3 okay. so what you're sitting on you know the one that you got pushed up onto the wing yeah. when you couldn't get yeah, up yeah when I couldn't yeah, get up and that's right Adam helped that me that part yeah. that you're on now yeah. is in fact what used to be the leading edge slat okay okay the reason they went away from the leading edge slat was at high altitude in dogfighting the slats would come out aerodynamically yeah but if they came out one at a time the aircraft would uncontrollably oh, yeah. flick so in combat that could be a de- that could be detrimental yeah that's a bad thing <laughs> they fixed the leading edge um and put fuel into it, or more fuel, which gave the aircraft increased 
range, which it needed. Mm-hmm. The other thing they did was they increased the where you're sitting mm-hmm. uh, by six inches, the cord, okay. and, and the wingtip by three. So it, it's what's called the 6-3 wing. Right. Now, the very late variants of the American Sabre, the F-86F30, I think it was, dash 30, had the 6-3 wing, but with the slats, which basically gave it the best maneuverability of any of the classic Sabres. Definitely. And, it, and the American Sabre that flies, sorry, the Canadian Sabre, you know the one in yep. the... the um, the golden colours. Okay, yeah. That has the, uh, I believe, an F eighty six thirty wing on it, so it's got the slats, but it's got the increased cord. Okay. Um, the aircraft. So that's from a, a handling perspective. We put the A nine Bravo on. Now we've got A nine Bravos actually ready to be fitted, but we're just waiting and working through the airworthiness process to get those sort cleared for flight. Yep. But uh, hopefully, in future events, the aircraft will rock up with the sidewinders on it. Nice. So it was our first jet in the Australian Air Force that was really what we call an air superiority fighter. It was designed to go out and and uh, and control the air. And as we we're passionately believe in the Air Force and the Army and Navy will grudgingly admit is that if you don't have control of the air, you really can't do much else. Exactly. And so this jet really set that scene, you know. I mean, yep. it's an air superiority fighter. We could carry rockets, you could carry bombs. Uh, it did some work in the Malaya emergency. Um, yep. But really, it predominantly is a, a air superiority fighter designed to live up at 30,000, 40,000 feet and dominate. And uh, so as fighter pilots, we kind of like that. What is the ceiling? Uh, this thing would go up uh, around the 50,000 feet mark. Wow. Uh, the wing really likes to live up at 40-odd up at thousand. And that's, it, you know, it'll sit up there at 4G. The guys say that flew it up there. I'm not allowed to go that high because it, <laughs> it's only rated VFR. Yep. And uh, CASA won't let me do that. But but it's, um, yeah, the big wing, it really was very manoeuvrable at high altitude. And awesome. it uh, is a great gun platform. Yep. Very stable. Yep. And uh, it's, it's a neat flying aeroplane yeah. and as they say if it looks right it flies it's right. gonna fly right what's the top speed on it 608 knots is is what's rated to down low so you know just over the sort of 1100k an hour yeah and right now the aircraft from a stability perspective is marginally it rolls beautifully around its axis but it's only marginally stable in pitch okay. what that means is that if i put a control movement in and let the aircraft then do its own thing it'll sit there and porpoise for quite a period of time but it also means is that if I fight that, the, the frequency of that oscillation is around the same frequency of, as my reaction time. And so we, you can easily at high speed get the aircraft into what's called a pilot-induced oscillation or a PIO. Yep. So I'm very aware and, and part of the training was to go up into that higher speed region and experience that. And we, the technique that we just use is if we get PIOs, if at any stage, the biggest thing is you don't fight the jet. So I open my hand and I'll just put a slight back pressure on the stick and, and let the jet sort of fly out of that. Okay. Putting the speed brakes out, the nose will pitch at 300 to 350 knots. You'll get about 2G of additional pitch. Wow. So because I'm trying to fly the aircraft, of, you know, I want it in front of the public, you know, yeah. but I don't want to fly it hard. No. I'm trying to do my entire... Uh, demonstration at 3g okay so if i'm if i get 2g out of the airplane automatically i've got to be pretty careful where i use the speed brakes oh definitely so that i don't uh, hurt it how about range how much fuel does it take and how long will that give you internally it only carries just over 3,000 pounds um wow. so if you get up really high it'll go about 600 miles uh Operationally, you could carry big tanks. So uh, okay. these are 100-gallon tanks each side. You could, the big tanks are 167s. Yeah. But that stability, it actually negatively impacted this, the pitch stability of the aeroplane, but it would go quite a long distance. In its longest range config, you'd actually carry uh, 
100 gals and the 167s, yeah. burn the 167 gallon tanks out and jettison them. That's, okay. that's how you go the furthest range. And then you'd be out over 1,000 miles. But, wow. but that's not something that was regularly done. How much does she burn in the demo? Because you're up, how, and how long you up? Well, for? the fuel flows, uh, you know, really depends whether you're caning it or not. So here, we're going reasonably low power because I'm flying with the Vampire and the Meteor, and they just can't keep up when yeah. I'm at high speed. So I'm learning about anywhere between two and four thousand pounds an hour. Okay. Tomorrow, when tomorrow afternoon after the show, we'll take it back to tomorrow, and so that is about a 260 mile trip. Um, if I went uh, last time, I was in Avalon, taking back took me just just uh, a shade over 30 minutes <laughs> and uh, in that case I'm burning about 1,500 to 2,000 pounds of fuel doing that that's a lot hmm. well Simo I'm aware that you're running out of time yeah. and we've got to get you somewhere else yeah I could talk about the jet all day it's, oh, it's and we could magic. listen all day mate yeah. and would love to but uh, I'm aware you've got time pressures Paul Simmons thank you very much absolute pleasure now Thanks, I've got guys. to get down off this thing yeah I'm just going to push you off yeah. oh cool Nikolai Timofeev, welcome to uh, Playing Crazy Down Under. All right, thank you very much, and uh, I'm really enjoyed to be here. It's second time already, 2009, now 2011, so it, it's uh, finally we have good weather, blue sky, which is, I thought it never will happen in Australia, oh. but finally <laughs> we have it. <laughs> it's much better than last last show. It was uh, t- terrible from Friday onwards with the weather. It definitely is, you know, but yeah. we are well it. Okay. Nikolai, you're flying a uh, beautiful Sukhoi here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this aircraft? Well, this is um, Sukhoi 26. Uh, it's uh, 705 kilos weight and 450 horsepower engine. And uh, most of the interesting things about this plane is that uh, we have um, uh, a lot of composite, which is, was integrated into the uh, structural elements of flying construction and um, right now it's not really a big deal but like 20 years ago it was big deal so yeah. and finally uh, it's we are lucky that technological prototype which was actually Suhoi was for Suhoi Design Bureau you know finally has such a, such a long life and actually independent life you know yeah so. no, it's a beautiful aircraft and you throw it around the sky like it's absolutely amazing watching you up there I've I've been in an extra and I've been in a Yak 52 and watching you fly the Sukhoi is just absolutely amazing. It's a good plane. It's a relatively interesting uh, airfoil which is uh, can give us chance to fly in really slow speed and uh, we can know, we can do a lot of dynamics um, um, type of maneuvers you know when you are just using inertia of the plane or dynamics of the plane just to keep him in flying. Yeah. But just because we have quite oversized uh, rather and elevator and big part of aileron sitting inside prop wash, so we're still able to control the things. So this is, this is really amazing. Yeah, very important to be able to control it at yeah, those exactly. when you're so, hanging on the prop and so on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Nikolai, could you tell us about your uh, history of aviation? How you, how you got into it? What made you get into it? So. Well, magic in aviation come to me from my father. He was fighter pilot in Second World War and um, after that I start to fly as a sort of uh, sportsman and, and at that time it was in Soviet Union and uh, in DOSAF system and um, after that I was selected as a member of National Aerobatic Team and uh, become to be a professional uh, as a aerobatic pilot let's say this way and um, I spent with national team of, of like uh, from 81 till 99 it was my, my uh, last year there 
And uh, basically that's it. Uh, inside this uh, 18 years, inside team, I, I, it was a couple gold medals in World Aerobatic Contest happened. And uh, one, two gold medals in, in a World game as well. So it's basically it's my trophy from this part of my life, let's say okay. this way. Yeah. So, so right now I'm just uh, uh, living in the uh, United States, uh, in Florida. And uh, basically, still do exactly the same what I did before. Uh, it's actually three part of businesses. Uh, one part is uh, what I'm doing here, flying air show using my Sukhoi. And uh, second part of business, uh, I am sort of you know top level coach and uh, help people to prepare for top level of unlimited or advanced level of competition. And I have numbers of trophies there as well in such kind of level. One of my guy, he is uh, two times national champion right now, so it's uh, quite good. And uh, three pilots who will fly uh, in. Uh, uh, unlimited World Aerobatic Championship in Italy in this year also coming through the, my hands, let's say this way. So, and uh, I hope it uh, all this chain of um, uh, transitioning of aerobatics, uh, you know, not break up, you know, so in a sort of continuous such kind of, you know, keeping line of snap spins and uh, sort of base how it should be done and uh, which way and so on so. So and um, it's and third part of the business, you know, it's just like you know, when we build this Suhoi in, you know, in Russia way back, you know, so in numbers of planes sitting in the United States right now, flying in the United States. And, uh, you know, planes sometimes need some sort of support. And um, I still have a lot of friends in Sukhoi Design Bureau and uh, still have good connections with them. So if planes need, need to do something serious, when uh, engineers from Sukhoi Design Bureau have to be involved and all something like that. So in that case, I try to organize such kind of link between West and East. And so finally, uh, we can able to keep playing in good shape and on top of professional level uh, i mean it's 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 possible to fix playing a different million different ways <laughs> but important things to fix the right way you know yes. so which is sort of professional way that is suhoi suhoi spare parts suhoi specialist technology and everything so in that case it's the right way to do it you know okay. so basically what it is and i'm sort of between sort of bridge between west and east in such case of uh, situation yeah. so basically what i'm doing right now and uh, so far life it's keep me uh, quite busy yes. so and um, happy let's say this way excellent approximately how many hours would you have uh it's uh 3800 somewhere okay so and are you able to just briefly talk us through your routine from start up to from takeoff to landing all right. Basically, it's it's um, uh, how to say my my goal here actually a little bit different than normally I'm flying and um, uh, sort of my visit card on air show. It's really a classical aerobatics with choreographic with music okay. and sort of try to show up nice and peaceful and grateful and a high level. Uh, connected with music, with smoke, with all the stacks, a piece of beauty inside. Uh, particularly for this show, it's a little bit different, and uh, it's not really choreographed with music, but it's much lower and much more energy and power involved in these things. So, and um, it's uh, more or less, it's uh, try to show uh, how powerful Suhoi is, 
and how he can operate close to the ground and um, and uh, after even quite complicated maneuvers I have enough energy to recover safely from this thing you know so what it is there's been a lot of hearts and mouths watching you because you're you're doing some amazing maneuvers quite low to the ground very low recoveries that kind of thing so it's from an audience perspective it's pretty amazing well yes it is you know so it's just um, it's um, two reasons for that that we, we can do it with plane I mean uh, just a big powerful engine in that case I, I can I can uh, sort of survive through the really low recovering but uh, still in good shape you know with energy so and um, at the same time uh, no it's just like uh, amazing wings as well so in that case I can fly slow but still still a little bit uh, some ways red line which I cannot pass you know yeah. so Okay. About how many, how much horsepower does this engine put out? Well, uh, I think it's uh, somewhere around like 450 plus, you know. Okay. So it's uh, it's definitely more than I had in my previous engine, you know. So and uh, because life in airshow is much easier right now because yeah. it's just like I, I have much more possibility to jump up, and yeah. uh, so it's what it is. Okay, Nikolai, thank you very much for coming on the show. We'll let you get back to resting before you uh, you do your show. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Today I went to the Avalon International Air Show for 2011 with Stephen Grant as part of the PCDU crew. One of the first interviews we did was with a B-52H bomber crew. Now, whilst Steve and Grant were conducting their interview with the instructor pilot, Major Blake Four, I was downstairs in the navigation area on the second level and having a very instructive chat with a Major Andy Carter, who was explaining a lot about the mechanics and the working. Now, I know I'm the infrequent flyer, and I know I should not be paying too much attention, but I found it absolutely fascinating. After Grant and Steve had finished their interview, I was invited up onto what I believe is called the flight deck. And whilst up on the flight deck, offered an opportunity to sit in the cockpit of a B-52 bomber. Grant and Steve made it to the co-pilot seat, but I'm the only one who made it as a pilot. Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons, and I've sat in the pilot seat of a B-52. I'll drink to that. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation advertiser.com.au This Avalon Quickcast episode is brought to you by Red Baron Adventures and Advanced Flight Training. Whether it's the ride of your life or taking your skills to a whole new level, Red Baron's professional staff of skilled pilots can take you to the limits. Go to www.redbaron.com.au for more details. Tembi Automotive Service and Eltham are committed to excellence. Proud winners of the 2010 Repco National Dealer Award, Tembi Automotive have been servicing the Eltham community for over 21 years. For all your vehicle servicing needs, call 9439-7574. Hi, this is Max from the Airplane Geeks Podcast. 
You're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under's coverage of the Australian International Air Show, recorded live at Avalon 2011. Ken Peach, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. Hey, it's great to be down under. It's a lot of fun. I've been having a great time here. Cool, and we've got some brilliant weather for the air show today as opposed to our last air show a couple of years back where it just rained. It was terrible last time. It was just, it was, I couldn't believe how many people came out for the show, how bad it was, and Looking at the weather now, look at the crowd. It's just a whole enthusiastic crowd having a lot of fun. It's the biggest crowd I've seen at Avalon for many a year. It's yeah, been really it's, good. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. Great, great times. And they've all come to see your routines, mate. Well, I hope so. I'm trying to do the best I can here, and I, I uh, enjoy flying in front of them. Cool. Well, we had a chat with Chris before about what's involved in driving the car and getting all this right, uh, right. rig up on top of it, the landing pad and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so big question we've got for you is, how do you coordinate the the landing? How you like you you do a first pass just to check the wind? And... Well, I'll tell you, the wind is a factor. It, it, sometimes it's too hard; you can't get it on. It's not a it's not a given that I'm going to get on this thing every time. Yeah. Today was fairly easier because the wind was a little bit of a cross from the right side. Um, you do make the first runs and get it down and try and make it. Sometimes you know, uh, sometimes you can't. So it makes three passes. After three passes, I quit. Yeah. Uh, I did do, I had a good enough landing on the first one where I could play around a little bit and leave and then come back and do the next one. The next one I was working it back and forth to get up, you know, just to work it up and kind of play around a little and I got in into the one of the, uh, the wheel wells and it clunked down and the other one did it and I had to leave on that one. Yeah. And that one there, I usually leave anyhow, but I had to on that one. It got a little bit different. And then it, then it did the third one. But yeah, you want to check it out. Our first one, I had to tell him to go faster. He was only doing 50. We were doing 50 in the other days, you know, because of the wind. We had, you know, less, yeah. you know, the ground speed. We had, you know, the airspeed was more than what the ground speed was because yeah. of the wind. Well, we had to, we had to speed it up. We weren't, we weren't good in the first one here. It was hard to get it down. If you notice, I was too high, and I had to get it back, yeah, back down yeah. again. Yeah. Well, Ken, for the people who have not had the benefit of seeing your routine here in Australia, perhaps you could describe your aircraft and uh, what it is you you do with it in general terms. I'd be happy to. The airplane I fly is called an Interstate Cadet. It was built in 1941. It's a 800-pound, uh, what I'd be about 360 kilo uh, airplane, uh, 90 horsepower engine, 36-foot uh, uh, wingspan. It's uh, does 100 miles an hour cruise. It's got about a five-hour range. Its stall speed on it is at 38 miles an hour. Uh, this airplane has a symmetrical wings, a 23012 airfoil like a Taylorcraft uh, airplane, which is side by side. This one's a tandem seated airplane. This airplane, uh, I bought my first one from my uncle, and it worked in with my my shows real well. I do one show, of course, where I drop the aileron. Yeah. And the tires come off. The aileron's easy to come on and off on this thing, so that helps in between acts so I can get it back together. The other show I do is a, uh, a, a dead stick act where I, uh, I uh, fly upside down with it. And because of this airfoil, the airplane flies really well because it's a semi-symmetrical airfoil. Okay. The, uh, and I'll do that with no power from 6,000 feet down to the ground. And I'll have the announcer, Gordon Bowman Jones, at this time, hold his hand out, and then I coast to a stop and put the spinner of the prop in his hand at the end. No nice. power from 6,000 feet. And uh, then, of course, then this car top landing fiasco here. That, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so how do you do... Okay, so an aileron falls off. I take it you've got a special rigged one for that? No, actually, all I do is take the real one off so I don't hurt it. And I built, I built one out of... Uh, 
Certifoam and monocoat, and I uh, put that on with two pins, and I have a, a little ring in the cockpit that I pull a cable, and off it comes. Okay. So I do fly with one aileron. Yeah, because yeah. it still will work with one. Yeah, yeah. That's is it, is it much more? Is, what's the difference with only having one aileron? How, how, Quite how a bit. Does it handle? There, there are certain things you got to watch out for. It's uh, it does turn good to the right. And bad to the left. I mean, because your up aileron on the left side is the aileron I have. So the up aileron doesn't have the power that a down aileron has. So okay. it's going to turn good to the right. I use It's got a good rudder, so I use a lot of rudder. And... Uh, and trying to mix things in a little bit to turn around there. Cool. Now, I heard you say that you uh, actually drop a wheel in that axe. Well, yeah, not, there's a secret to that. Okay. Yeah. Oh. It's, oh. In, it's in the back seat. <laughs> so, and I throw it out, but nobody sees that. It's an air <laughs> distraction. Nobody sees it. Right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering about yeah, that. Yeah. I'm I, looking at it going, well, I'm not seeing anything was, under there to help. Yeah, well, I was kind of hoping you wouldn't ask, but you, you <laughs> oh, caught me. You caught sorry. me. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. We're, we're those... Yeah, we're like the show me state. We right, that's it. That's good. Yeah, here, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like an Argentinian in there. <laughs> now, Kent, with the audio routine that the the commentator is giving, he actually uh, you know works in a, a little bit of a spiel about being in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. Now, as somebody who used to live not far from Little Rock, Arkansas, tell us a bit of that backstory. How that story come about? Well, it was Gordon Bowman Jones who came up with it, and what I I do land on an RV also in the states, but I had to have a pickup to get in the container to come over here. Well, the RV looks like a van that you take people around to different uh, towns in, and then that's how Gordon worked that in. As this is the van that you can land on it, you know, pick people up, land on it, and take them off, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, it, and he worked that in with the roadkill and the whole thing. It's pretty funny. That's well, Gordon. I tell you what, when I be flying around Pine Bluff, Arkansas, with all those egg pilots down there, I can tell you there's some pilots that fly just like that in real life. They do. <laughs> they absolutely do. You're right. Yeah, they're good pilots. Now, you so. bring the aircraft down from uh, Minot in uh, yeah, North Dakota? Minot, North Dakota. And as the saying goes, why not Minot? Freezing's a reason. Freezing's a reason. <laughs> I had to work that in for my U.S. Air Force friends over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's cold. It gets. It was 20 below when I left up there. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, good thing. There must be an air show on around here. That was a B-1 going past. I think yeah. so. Uh, B1's making up for lost time. He couldn't fly yesterday, yeah, yeah. so he's doing a lot of it today. Yeah. Pretty neat. We thought he was going to land on this one, so right. thought he was safe. Or maybe it's too high or something. <laughs> or maybe he wants to do a comedy act. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Throw a wheel out of that one. Yeah, first. see what you got. Go on there, buddy. How <laughs> <laughs> you going to do the help out the window on that? Right. <laughs> cool. Kent Peach, thank you very much for coming on the show. You do a great set of routines, thank and you. it's a I pleasure to have you comments. here. I appreciate the comments. It's great to be here in Australia. Uh, I feel like I'm right at home. Chris Hamilton, welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Hey, no worries, man. Uh, you've got a very important role here with uh, Kent Peach and the Jelly Belly routine. Uh, while Kent's trying to land his cadet on the uh, top of a uh, truck, you're the one driving it. That's right. I get to drive it. I get to be the one that ultimately holds his, his life in my hands, right? He, you know, I could swerve or anything. But no, uh, you know, it's really interesting. You know, it, you don't see too many guys doing this, and it's uh, it's a great honor to be able to drive the truck. It's okay. kind of it's a lot of fun. Cool. Now, this is you have brought your truck with you for one very obvious reason that I should have plumbed to when I first asked you, <laughs> and that is the fact that on top of this truck is a very custom-designed piece of hardware called a landing field. Yeah, it's basically, you know, we call it our aircraft carrier. Uh, you know, on the land, it's our aircraft carrier, so it's it's basically a welded-up uh, piece of aluminum on top of the truck. It's actually welded into the frame of the truck, so it, we took a standard truck and welded it on. Uh, it took them about two weeks to do. Uh, pretty labor-intensive, but uh, get a great welder, and it's on there, and it's 
is ready to go. It takes a lot of impact. When he okay. lands on it, you know, it, it has to be pretty strong. Yeah, how much, how much downforce is there when he lands on it? Man, I, I couldn't even tell you. I don't know. <laughs> it, I'll tell you, it, shot, it, it rocks the truck. Oh, yeah. It'll rock it. You know he's on there. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> cool. Talk about training for the coordination be, between what you're doing on the ground and what he's doing in the air. How do you uh, practice for that? Sure. Um, well, you know, there, there's a couple of us in the States that, uh, that drive for him. And, you know, basically we train. There's always two people and in the in the truck while we're doing it one guy runs the radio and the other guy's driving and just like a cockpit crew in an airplane you know if one of us sees something wrong it's immediately brought up and you know it's corrected but we you know we're trained that way and i you know i got trained actually just last year working for him and uh it's all through the radio he's talking we're talking between each other he's telling us go 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 which tells us when to go and we're talking about air speeds constant you know constantly talking over the radio about what we uh what we're what we're needing to do have you got a voice activated mic or a push to talk on the steering wheel uh actually i don't the driver doesn't do the talking the passenger does okay and the radio is loud enough to where i can hear it and uh, that, that's usually how we do it okay so no no music in the cab no music in the cab <laughs> no no not at all okay so what kind of speeds are you doing for him to land on you well it really depends on winds uh like earlier this week when the winds were really bad you know tuesday wednesday we were going about 40 45 the stall speed on the airplane is 45 but with that much wind coming over it uh today we did we started off with 50 and we ended up with 55 because the winds died down considerably while we were out there yeah that's miles per hour of course for our australian listeners i'm guessing <laughs> oh yeah miles per yeah yeah, yeah see cool. so how do you determine what that speed is does he do a pass and figure it out first well you know the first pass is, is really feeling it out feeling the winds out feeling a lot of it out but you know he's been doing it so long that he can usually get a feel for it immediately he knows what he wants uh even before we go out there he can look at the winds and basically tell what he wants uh, he's amazing he's easy to work for and he okay. you know and he, he, he'll tell you exactly what he needs and it's great what's your cue points uh, when he's making his approach where do you have to be and how do you guys you're coordinating over the radio but what are your cues and just instructions okay well what we'll start off is uh, before we even go out there we'll talk about which way the winds are blowing which way we want to make our run like this time we took uh, three six heading to the north because of the winds out of the uh well, what is this i don't know the east yeah. and uh so we we decided that we were going to be beyond the grandstand and then i wait in the middle of the runway and uh all we would do is wait and he he's He's the pro. Yeah. He's the guy. He's got it figured out, and he just tells us over the radio, go, 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 and we go, go, go. We floor it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we floor it. And this truck's got some pickup, too. Oh, it yeah. goes. It's not quite like being the Mustang following the U2 on landing, but I imagine it's pretty, you got to oh, hit the hammer pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, it moves. It moves. But it's not a truck, right? What is it, a ute? Yeah, over it's here, it's a crew cab ute for the Australians. This yeah, is yeah. a uh, four-seat, uh, four-door. You've got the suicide doors here where the, <laughs> the rear doors open outwards after the front doors are opened. Uh, it's a Chevy, is it? Yeah. It is. It's a Chevy. It's a 2500. So it's it's the bigger and it's uh with the steering wheel on the wrong side, of course. <laughs> on the wrong Actually, side. Yeah. I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I take it you don't really. This is not roadworthy in the states. Do you it drive is. this? Do you get some weird looks or what? I, I'll tell you. The funny thing is, is we have two trucks and two airplanes in the, in the states. One for the east coast, one for the west coast. And the funny thing is, is the other truck is a camper. An oh, yeah. old, old, I mean, it's not old, old, but we're talking 80s, 70s camper. Yeah, I've seen photos of that one. With this, and I'll tell you what, I drove that, uh, funny story, just, just last year I was driving it in between shows and on the interstate and people will pull up next to me and just look and they'll just <laughs> stare. They don't know what to do. It's kind of funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Chris, it's a spectacular show that you guys put on here. Uh, where to next for you? Well, actually, I think the next one's going to be down in Florida, Titusville, Flo or Tyndall, Florida in the United States. So, yeah be a lot of fun less topical for us because we uh we do a spot for a florida based radio show in jacksonville so uh, we might uh, send some audio from this interview to them yeah definitely cool. that'd be great
Mate, just before we do sign off though, I do want to ask, I'm looking here at this uh, enormous piece of, uh, as we say down here, aluminium, because yeah. we spell it different, yeah. uh, <laughs> our differently word, spelt words. But mate, there's more than just aluminium or aluminium in yeah. this construction. What are all these things that I'm looking here? Are they wheel brakes or something? Uh, yeah, actually there are indentations in the top that he just, he'll slip the wing, the, the wheels right into and it'll hold them there a little bit. And then we have a, uh, a device in here and a couple of electrical motors that swings an arm that will actually pin the tires into those wheel wells. So that's what allows us to turn around and stuff while he's on it. Okay. Um, just, just a little extra bit of security. Yep. And how do you handle a crosswind? A crosswind, uh, typically, you know, we'll still go straight down the runway, but we'll lock down one wheel before the other, of okay. course, because the airplane's a little, yep. you know, a little cockeyed, I guess, as we'd say. But, uh... <laughs> oh, another one of those uh, cross-cultural oops. Yeah, 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 no kidding, yeah. Oh, there's lots. <laughs> okay, well, Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate you telling us about this very important part of an otherwise airborne act. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Cool. Colonel Seth Bretcher, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. It's good to be here. Thank you very much. Cool. Now, sir, I understand that uh, you are the one responsible for making sure the Pacific Air Force is able to attend this air show. Yeah, we uh, they, they they call me the air boss, and really I'm the I'm the United States mission commander for all the aircraft and the carrier feeding, getting them in, getting them out uh, for everything that we have underground. Okay, that sounds like an awful lot of work, given you've got everything from the F-16 demo team. The, are they with you? Or yes, yeah. So every single American, uh, every single American air. In, in including the United States Navy helicopter, the MH-60, we have on the ramp as well. So okay. primarily United States Air Force, but it is joint from our perspective because he came in off the USS Shoup, which docked in Melbourne Harbor. Correct. Mm -hmm. So uh, in other words, basically, if there's an American Armed Forces person here, it's because your, your team has put it all together. That's correct. Okay. What's involved in making that happen? How far out did you start planning this? Uh, it's... Uh, the initial planning actually began with the United States Embassy, working with the Australian, with their Australian counterparts as far as what the requirements were for the air show. Yep. And then we've really been working it in earnest for about the last four months as okay. far as making sure that we get the right first invitations to go out, aircraft, uh, different wings then say, hey, yeah, we're willing to contribute to this, and then putting out the tasking order that goes, that goes to them about getting their requirements, what they're going to have to bring in as far as support equipment and people that go that, that, that are on the ground, all those types of things, and then being able to work the logistics trail. The tanker bridge that has to bring all the aircraft in, for example, a good example is the uh, uh, the B-1 bombers yep. flew nonstop from Dias Air Force Base in Texas 22 hours. So that's a tanker bridge that took three different air refuelings to occur overhead. So that whole logistics trail has to be put in, that, that whole tanker trail has to be put in place. The F-22s came down from Canadian Air, Air, Air Base. They were dragged by tankers in order to get them in. The F-16s came down from Guam. They were dragged by tankers in order to get them in. So all of that orchestration has to occur to get to get something down. And then once they get on the ground, what's the support equipment that has to go in? So the C-17 that's on the ramp today, yep. he arrived here fully loaded with uh, all the pallets that are necessary to support the the B1s that are here and to support the B52s as well. So he didn't come down here empty. He's not leaving empty. He's <laughs> got to take all that support equipment back. Yeah. So you look for the efficiencies that you can use in order to support an event like this because it does cost money to bring them down. Well, if they're going to come down here, let's bring them down full yeah. as much as we can in order to get the people in and to get the equipment in to be able to support the flying operations that we've been able to do with the F-16s and the B-1. The tanker bridge is a really interesting aspect from my point of view. Where are those tankers staging from at various points around the globe? All, uh, yeah, various points around the, uh, around the globe. Uh, uh, some of the launches have come out of uh, Guam. Some of the launches have come out of Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii. We've even had, we even pre-positioned one down in Darwin. 
and then he was overnight in Darwin, filled up with gas, and then launched up in order to catch the 22s to bring them, to bring them the rest of the way down. Launches out of Kadena, so that is a that's all orchestrated by uh, by TACC the, the theater TA Airlift Control Center. I believe I think the acronym is <laughs> TACC is what we call them out of Scott Air Force Base near St. Louis, Missouri, in the center of the United States. They have the command and control of all of that. They know where all the tankers are. They look at what the priorities are for the tasking, and then they build the bridges, and then that's coordinated directly with my, my Air Mobility Division that's at the 613th Air Operations Center in Hawaii. And between those two organizations, they work with the air crews, and they work with us as far as what the requirements are, as far as when do we got to get them in and when do we have to get them out. When you've got your, your aircraft here, obviously, there could be a call for them to be used, I guess, at any time, given any situation. What sort of preparedness is? Is there any sort of contingency made if if the call came now and you had to to go off to? Perfect example is we were worried about losing the C-17 for Christchurch, yeah, which right, which yeah. you saw the Australian C-17. Yes. Great. I mean, I I, I hope the, I hope the public here. That unfortunately, he had to leave, but I hope the public here realizes that that C-17 a week ago, the Australian one, was flying to Christchurch back and forth, and that's everything. Yeah. Those types of things, you know. PACOM was in the loop and the United States Embassy was in the loop. Does does New Zealand need yeah. help from us? They had not they have not as of yet requested from us. They're relying on Australia primarily primarily in order to do that. And so, uh, but if something like that would, would would occur, we could lose aircraft supporting the air show because obviously a, a contingency like that is a much higher priority for us than coming down. And yeah, we want to do the theater engagement with the Allies. We want to we want to. Uh, do the do the engagement with the people of Australia to show them a really good sampling of what the United States Air Force can bring to a fight. To what what the United a little bit of what the United States Navy and the flexibility that they have as far as air power. But if something real world would pop up, yeah, we would be canceling aircraft out of the air show, saying very very sorry, we've got other more important things that we have to do. Yeah. Uh, and and the New Zealand thing was a primary example. The good news is it didn't affect us, but it did affect the Australians yes. as far as the C-17. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, uh, on our tarmac report last night, we had the guy in charge of the um, the keyhole area where it was parked. That's talking right. about the, the joy of getting it up, getting it out during the middle of the air show. That's right. Uh, so keeping the air show running around an unplanned C-17 departure, mm -hmm. it, it made it for a bit of fun for them. That's right. Now, Colonel, uh, one of the really interesting things about an air show like this, we, we like to, our show is focused on pilots and uh, aviators, and we like to get everybody's story. So uh, you were telling us before we started that you're actually a former F-111 pilot. I'm an old F-111 guy myself, F-111 weapon systems officer, right seater. Uh, just a absolutely tremendous airplane. We retired it in 1995, and so that tells you how long it's been since I've flown a real airplane. Uh, <laughs> Then, then in the uh, second half of my career, I've been working uh, back and forth between being an air liaison officer with the United States Army and doing this and doing command and control from our air operations centers. Uh, back and forth about four times between each one of those. I'm on an air operations center assignment right now at the 613th AOC, which is how I ended up being the air boss for this mission. But no, I've got, uh, we, we did some really great work in the F-111F uh, during the Gulf War yeah. primarily, and then uh, oh, it was a tremendous airplane. It's unfortunate that uh, I missed the Australians yeah. by about three months because they yeah. had to retire theirs for, yeah. you know, because we have the F-18s on board now. Yeah, so. it was a shame we couldn't have the F-111 do one final dump and burn at Avalon. Yeah. It would have totally... It would have been glorious. Oh, yeah. and, 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 all of, and we would like to thank the Royal Australian Air Force for the show that they put on to close the Olympic ceremonies when they picked up the yeah. torch. Every F-111 crew in the United States was cheering when, when, when he came over the torch, they put it out, and then 
and they, they lit their torch and they took it off into the sky. Absolutely brilliant. It was, that was, that was, that was absolutely that was the brilliant. the highlight of the whole show. That's right. Yeah. Now, Colonel, where to from here for your team? Uh, we, uh, the biggest thing that we have to do is get the airplanes out uh, on the 7th and on the 8th. Hopefully we'll have everything gone and then just getting them all back out to where they go and I'll end up back at Hickam Air Force Base. And be able to spend a little bit of time in Sydney enjoying that on the way out <laughs> with my wife who flew down in the other day as well. I note that you, a KC-10 is due in today and uh, there's yes. a couple of KC-135s came in overnight. That's correct. Yeah, so uh, I figured that was the indication that everything was getting ready to head out and be dragged back across. That's right. We So we have our we have our Airbridge planners that also arrived. And so they are right now, as we're talking, they're sitting down with the, with the air crews from the F-22s and from the F-16s and looking at not just the fuel they need to get home, but what's the load plan in order to be able to make sure we can get all the equipment back out the same way that we got the equipment back in. So yeah. that detailed planning, the, the bridges are in place and the timing's yeah. in place, but the detailed planning with specifically with the cruises occurring okay. today. Now, Colonel, um, I'd heard early on that there was a chance of the B-2 being uh, deployed down here for us to see at the air show. Was that ever on the cards? It was. It, there was an invitation put to them um, it's one of those situations where you get a little bit of positive feedback because the squadron, you're saying, hey, you want to go to Australia? <laughs> the air crew well, are yeah. all about it. Uh, but um, uh, Global Strike Command has command and control of those aircraft, and they simply couldn't release them. There, there, there just aren't that many of them. And, uh, and, and also, you know, the, the funding issues within the budgetary issues within the United States as a whole. Yeah right now are very, very tight as, yeah. as, as, as all over the media. That does directly affect us. And so consequently, it's not just putting the logistics. Somebody's got to pay for all the gas. Somebody's got to pay for all mm -hmm. the airlift. And, and, and it just wasn't going to work for them coming yeah. out of Missouri. So we have the uh, F-22 Raptors. There's mm -hmm. two of them. They're parked on the hard stand. There's a lot of people streaming by, loving looking at them. But a lot of those people were hanging to see them uh, fly. Unfortunately, they're not being able to fly. Yeah, it's, it, it's a real simple. It, it, we, we have... We have to be a, a demonstration pilot, yeah. which Mach, who is flying the F-16, he is a fully bona fide qualified demonstration pilot. He has to go through a rigorous training. He even has to fly his first demo in front of four-star general because those guys work mm -hmm. in PACAF. He works directly for General North, our okay. PACAF commander. Yep. So he has to do his demo qualification in front of him. We do have F-22 demo pilots in the United States Air Force. We just could not get one to this air show. They are, they're all in the United States right now. We don't have one dedicated to the Pacific Theater. Okay. And so it's very simple. Able to get the airplanes here, uh, we just don't have, since it's so new and the, and the demo teams are still standing up, we yeah. simply did not have a pilot available to be able to fly it. So two years from now, don't quote me, but if we can put the same type of show on, get them in here and stuff like that, you know, fingers crossed, maybe we can do the demo. It, 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 it's, we, we Believe me, we would have loved to put oh, it yeah. in the air because it is a spectacular show, and we have done that in other places. It's simply a matter of having a demo-qualified pilot, and there wasn't one available. Because the, 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 some of the feedback we've been getting from people was related to uh, it would have been great even just to see a takeoff, fly a circuit, and land. Yeah. Uh, they just wanted to hear it, yeah. see it in the air. And, yeah, yeah, and, that, and, and, yeah, and then, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it, it's simply a matter of having a, a demo-qualified yep. pilot. So that, that's the only issue with it. Everybody wanted to do it. Uh, it's just a matter of having the right pilot. And we don't have one in the sphere. Well, Colonel Seth Bretcher, um, the United States Air, uh, Air Force and Navy have been uh, really well represented here at Avalon. It's been a fantastic show. On behalf of our audience, we'd like to thank you and your team for providing our audience with such great access. 
uh, getting on the B52 yesterday was a lifetime thrill for me, I can tell you. So it's, it's been wonderful. We'd just like to thank you and uh, thanks for spending some time oh, with us. It's, it's our pleasure. We, you know, we, we do the best we can. Uh, many thanks to Australia for, being, for hosting us. Many thanks for the way that they've been working for, oh, jeepers, probably a year initial contact with the United States Embassy and the way they've worked with us the last, the last month, the Avalon ground team has been absolutely spectacular working all kinds of different ramp, ramp waivers parking plans getting a kc10 unannounced yeah. in today you know a fitting fitting a slot time in to get him on yeah. the ground it's, it's really been a great joint effort you know and, and part of that planning even a little bit you have to thank you know countries even like indonesia because we have to get diplomatic clearances through every single country's airspace yeah. that we fly through that's part of what that tac c cell is doing so it takes a whole host of efforts from a whole bunch of people behind the scenes from many different nations in order to get us down here and, and we're just glad to be able to pull it off thank you ian honorary welcome back to playing crazy down under how are you going i'm doing very well it's been a very successful show so far i'm delighted excellent any highlights for you so far uh, the people rolling in yesterday was the biggest highlight for me. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, it was very crowded. Lots of people uh, came here. Um, and although it was crowded, there were just so many things for people to see and do, and they were spread out over the entire site. It was really an exciting spectacle. Uh, we had a very, very good uh, crowd yesterday. I don't know what the figures are yet. We won't know for a few days. But uh, it was a good one. And um, given the good weather today, I'm sure we're going to have another good crowd. But, you know, one of the things that really impressed me about this show, and I've been doing this now for 35 years, is, and I must say that I think that this may in some respects be our best show ever, which is appropriate given that we're celebrating our 10th show here at Avalon. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that really impressed me, I think, as I walked around yesterday, um, was not only wall-to-wall -wall people and wall-to-wall -wall aeroplanes. I mean, we have something in the order of 600 aircraft participating in the show. Um, was the fact that um, uh, we um, had this fantastic array of displays and activities all over the site. And it was like, I come from Sydney originally, and it was like going to the Royal Easter show at Easter. <laughs> and um, walking around and uh, seeing so many things, it was like a, an aeronautical Royal Easter show. And, uh, and it was just, just chuck a block aeroplanes and went from one end of it to the other and there was just so much to see and do you know to really enjoy the show you've almost got to come for three days because a day in the exposition yep. right going through all the exhibits a day watching the flying displays and another day wandering around having a look at all the static displays definitely well Ian, just before we wrap up you talked about it being the 10th anniversary of the air show and it's been fitting the 90th anniversary of the royal australian air force and the military representation here has been first class yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we have um, military representation from the United States, um, from the United Kingdom, uh, uh, from Singapore, uh, from Italy uh, and France. And in addition to that, um, uh, we had planned, of course, to have um, military representation from the Royal New Zealand Air Force, but because of the Christchurch disaster, they naturally um, were unable to participate on this occasion in our Hearts and thoughts go out to all of our friends in uh, New Zealand for what they've been through recently. Um, we, um, we've had a really broad international participation from air forces in terms of aircraft, but on the business side, if you like, on the sort of serious side of the show, um, over the trade days, we've had um, a record number of high-level military delegations from around the world. I think that um, uh, the figure that I've heard is something in the order of 36 
uh, senior level military delegation. So that's a lot of air forces represented either at the chief of air force level or at you know um, um, deputy chief of air force level, senior officer level uh, at the show, which really means that uh, the exhibitors and the business visitors at the show were able to uh, get to see, get to talk to, get access to some really important people in the international military scene. They did all seem to be smiling quite a bit out there in the stands, uh, quite a yes, bit of activity over yes, the trade time. Yes, there, there was. I think it's been a very successful show for uh, just about all the participants. Um, and despite the international um, global economic conditions, um, we seem to have uh, been able to secure about the same uh, exhibition footprint at this show as we've had in the past. This is by, uh, you know, international aerospace and defence industry and aviation yep. companies on the business side of the show. Um, I believe that there's just about, just under uh, 600 um, participating exhibitor companies. So in that exposition, uh, there are in the order of 600 companies from over 30 countries uh, participating or represented there one way or the other uh, doing business at the show. That's excellent. Well Ian, it's been an exhausting week for all of us, a really fun week on behalf of our audience. We'd like to thank you for allowing us to uh, come here and participate. It's been a thrill for us and uh, a great show. Thanks for that. Thank you very much and uh, one of the great things about this show is that it's a show which in my view um, uh, very uh, uniquely combines the excitement and spectacle yeah. of aviation with the serious business of aerospace and defence. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, OK, we're standing out here in the car park at Avalon and we're standing here with our favourite WA listener, Ed Stubbs. You've come, Ed, you've come all the way over here from WA just to see the show and presumably to see us too, so that's really cool, mate. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. First time, <laughs> first time call, long time listener. Oh, hey, I had to, say, had to put that in, mate. <laughs> So uh, tell us about tell us for your highlights, mate. You've been here for two days, mate. It's the best two days I've had all year, I think. Yep. Um, you know, wow. anything from the warbirds all the way to the jets. It's a weekend of first. You know, the F twenty two, the B one B Lancer, F sixteen. Never seen them before. And uh, tonight, in about three hours, have the pleasure of flying on Tiger. Ah, uh, look, mate. <laughs> I've flown twice on Tiger, one up, one down, and they got it wrong only once. Okay, well we better round, wait around for it if it's Tiger Airways. You never know if they'll go or not. I know, it's going to be good for you, mate. I'll sleep Character at, building. You I'll can sleep. sleep on Grant's floor. <laughs> I'll sleep at the terminal, enjoy the scenery, the F-22's leaving. Yeah, oh, they're going out tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow about 9, I hear. Yeah, the uh, Papa Smurf was saying, that, as everyone else here has just heard, but we haven't edited it down yet, uh, that they're getting everyone together. The, uh, they're tanking up all the KC-135s and the KC-10 and uh, they're getting ready to drag everyone away tomorrow. So unless somebody goes US, like the Super Hornet, the RAF Super Hornet went US, he took off, started into it, went oops, landed, that was it, recovered, they fixed it, and he did his show right at the very end for a very happy crowd. <laughs> hey, now Ed, you uh, told us you're doing your pilot's license over there in Perth. Yep. Tell us a bit about that, mate. Um, I've got about 200 hours. Uh, I've got uh, PPL, uh, aerobatics, and a tailwheel. Nearly finished my night rating. I'm just finishing off my commercial exam, so I've got another four to go. Oh, awesome. Which and ones then, have you done so far? Uh, AGK, uh, Human Factors and Air Law, which yeah, I did two Human weeks Factors ago. always fun, eh? <laughs> yeah, 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 just give me a beer, I'm human. Oh, sorry. <laughs> eight hours bottle of throttle burner. <laughs> I know, I'm ballooning, eight feet bottle to burner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you continue to keep us updated on that because we, we like our audience to hear about uh, stories like that, so that's really cool, mate. Yeah. And you're also involved with the, with the Air League? Uh, the, the Australian Air Force Cadets. Right. Cool. But tell us a bit, bit about what they do. Um, we actually we meant to catch up with them here, but we just haven't had time. No, we've been flat out. 
Basically, we're a youth group that's associated with the Air Force, so we get funding and support from the Air Force, and it's for basically young girls and boys between the age of 13 and 19, and every week they come to a squadron parade, and then we teach them the uh, fundamentals of aviation and different survival skills, and uh, teach them about the Air Force. Excellent. Cool. That Excellent. sounds great. And uh, no designs on joining the REF yourself? Uh, certainly do. Uh, probably next year I'll think about joining up and uh, hopefully I'll be flying a display here the next Avalon. Uh, well, we will look forward to it. And just remember, mate, media right. The first, the, the, the <laughs> words you need to remember when it comes to doing Air Force flights. So I yeah, forget my PAX friends. Flights, passenger flights, PAX flights. Yeah. Occasionally they refer to them as media here, but uh, <laughs> seems the Raffies all talk about PAX, uh, sorry, yeah, PAX flights. Uh, well, Ed, thanks for coming all the way over here. It was great to meet you. We uh, bumped into you yesterday and... Uh, Glad you come out here to the car park. You're just about to hop on a bus and head across to the terminal. So I uh, uh, hope you have a safe flight back, mate. All right, thanks very much, guys. Cool, mate. Great to meet you, buddy. Cheers. Hi, this is Max Flight. This is Milford from Flight Time Radio. You can catch Grant and Steve each week on the Airplane Geeks podcast with their Australia Desk Report. Over on our podcast, Steve and Grant send in a bi-weekly update that covers flying in the Southern Hemisphere. Our listeners look forward to the Flying Down Under segment for the great interviews and a taste of aviation life from another point of view. www.airplanegeeks.com to get a chance, visit flighttimeradio.com to learn a little about our radio show and podcast. Well, I've interrupted the show long enough, so let me turn all you plain crazies back over to the guys and their usual outstanding content. Cheers from America. And now it's time for Timbo's Tarmac. Timbo, congratulations, you've survived yet another Avalon. Yeah, we scraped through, but we got it done. Uh, <laughs> no, very, uh, from our side, uneventful, uneventful is good. Yeah, well, I've been standing here as you have cleared the Warbird Tarmac. You had everyone in their uh, cockpits ready to go, and we went from Harvard's, we're away, Windjeel, P40, Spitfire, Mustang, and uh, dirty great, yeah, a couple of jets, the Sabre and the Media, and a dirty great Bristol Centaurus powered Fury. Yep, no, we shot 11 aircraft in one hit, so that was pretty good, and uh, they all moved out nicely. Yeah, very well done, mate. That would look very professional to see it all go out. Yeah, no, that's what we try and do. The guys are really good here. They know how to handle aircraft, and, and my crew worked really well too. Yep. Okay, anything you'd like to say now that it's all wound up? No, we're just glad that it's over. Um, it's been a, a busy weekend, but uh, yeah, that's it. Another one down. Back okay. for 2013, I suppose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll be here for it. No worries at all. Well, Timbo, thank you very much for giving us the daily updates. Congratulations once again. And are you going to go and join a, enjoy a uh, well-earned beer now? Yeah, might need something to blow the dust off, I think. I think so. There's a lot out here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Timbo. I'll go again. And now it's time for In the Keyhole with Papa Smurf. Papa Smurf, congratulations. You have survived another air show. It's almost over. The crowd are leaving. What's got to go now? Uh, well, we've probably got rid of all the light aircraft. Tomorrow morning we'll start sending the biggest stuff out, the C-17. KC-10, the F-22s, the F-16s, the F-18s, all that. OK. We'll all head off home. Tomorrow at some stage... Uh, the air show today went well. Uh, we stuck pretty well to our time schedule. Uh, the only hiccup, hiccup we probably had was one of the Hornets uh, went US just after start and didn't take part in the uh, bombing demonstration. Yeah, the, I noticed there was but, only three in the formation and the yeah, bombing. Yeah. yeah. But um, the rest of it was pretty good. Uh, we were told first thing this morning we were supposed to get a C-17 back in, but he didn't eventuate. Okay. Uh, we got a KC-10 come in and uh, they moved a, a KC-135 up from the bottom to, so they could refuel it in yep. the morning. Cool. Uh, get it all topped up so we can take the jets home. Yeah, drag them back. Yep. Okay. Uh, we had Connie in and out 
uh, the Catalina, the DAC. Well, we had three Dakotas in and yeah. out today. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, CJ27 went up and did his usual oh. fly around the sky. That is obscene. He's, Loops, uh, rolls and knife edge yeah. passes from a baby herc. Yeah, I kept telling people that he was the best demo of yeah. all of them. I think he, he should was, win the award. Yeah. He wasn't loudest, but he was most oh, impressive. Oh, definitely the best, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, no, I'm a jet boy from way back, jet fighters, and uh, I still reckon he was the best show of the lot. But the show as a whole was pretty good, and yeah. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Did, and all the blokes work really well, yeah. and I can't thank them enough for the work that they did safely yeah from my point of view yeah so yes it was a really good show cool well thank you papa smurf uh when everything settles down and it's time i hope you enjoy a well-earned beer mate i will and i'll see you in two years cool thanks mate bye cheers It's 10 to 7 on the end of the last day here at Avalon. We're standing out here in the car park. We're all exhausted. Grant, Adam, let's uh, talk through this huge day we've had here at Avalon and uh, let's go back through the week a bit. Okay, well, uh, do you want to start right from the start? We came in on the Tuesday. We were green, we were rookies, we were new to Avalon in terms of uh, as a whole team at media here. And uh, we just dived in and started getting everything together. Uh, I was racing around organizing interviews left, right and center. We did a few, it was very early day on, on Tuesday. We didn't get that many, but we were running all over the place. I'd say that by the end of the week, we were in the groove. We were grabbing opportunities left, right and center, and you were flat out, Steve, in the uh, media center, turning that into Firebase uh, PCDU. Yeah. Or Firebase Visha, I think, more like it. <laughs> you were flat out in there, mate. You uh, were nobody, was coming near the, nobody was coming near the big bloke in the corner, I'll tell you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Mate, you were, you were hardcore, hardcore yeah. editing. That was great. and. Uh, no, I think we settled into a pretty good groove and uh, we just went hard. I was really pleased. The first interview we got straight at the top, you know, Dr. Brendan Nelson, um, and he spoke so well. Once he was convinced, and this was part of the, the reason we came here, was to prove a point that new media is different, it's niche marketing, and it can be done. And yep. I really think we've proved that. I'm really pleased with the way the video cast have come out. I'm really pleased with the way the audio has come out. And, uh, you know, there's lots more audio and video to come, but, uh, you know, I think Brendan Nelson was a prime example of that. You won him over straight away, Grant, by not going for the politics. Like, and you could see him. He put his game face on, and you know he was ready. All he saw was media, and he was ready for it. And you won him over straight away by <laughs> talking about his his, his uh, ride in the uh, in the FA18, and it was smooth sailing from there. Well, most important thing out. You know, okay, yeah, he was signing in. He got us all this stuff. But the most important thing, we are jealous as he's had two rides in a Rhino. Yeah. Well, you know, hello. Yep. So absolutely. Now, Adam, uh, you've been out there. You, you've got uh, camera gear that's worth more than my house uh, that you've dragged along yeah. today, mate. And uh, I tried lifting your bag into the car at about uh, whatever god god awful hour I picked you up this morning, and it nearly broke me back. So uh, how'd you go for photography? Oh, I think today's been one of the better days for photography. I mean, I had big shoes to fill with the um, excellent work that Stephen Pam's put out earlier in the week. Um, hopefully, I can get a few of the good shots and a little bit of video, which will. Uh, which I'll actually hand to Stephen and hopefully he can make it into some um, top quality production for you. Cool. Yeah. So how many photos did you get today? You were thinking four um, to five thousand. I don't uh, think you got there today. I'm, I'm thinking close, probably just over two. Yeah, yeah probably yeah, just over did, two thousand. We did have you a bit distracted. You weren't on the flight line the whole day. No, no, I had to come over and help out with the um, KC135, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Pretty good distraction. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it, it, was, it was probably... Um, for me, actually, that was more interesting than the 52 that we went into the other day. Wow. Um, 
it just shows I'm not quite the airplane geek, but uh, <laughs> I actually found that one quite fascinating and enjoyed that. But um, I, I think we just heard David Vanderhoof thud to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, David. But sorry, um, David. Yeah, I, I'm getting there, mate. Um, I did. I did know what the um, spark bark was, so that's that's one thing, that David. Is awesome. Yeah, okay, um, we'll give him that. Yeah, but I got back out in the flight line after you know climbing over children and throwing chairs behind me and everything else to get there. But no, it was a good day. Cool. Yep. Excellent. Now, uh, where do we go to from here, boys? We got a lot of uh, editing to do. We're going to yeah. get a pizza on the way home. The food of the gods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least the food of the gods right now that are tired, foot sore, and have been all over the place. But okay, I think I think for me the highlights of this Avalon. Uh, Let's see, first one up, definitely once again, the C-27J Spartan. Watching the mad Italian throw that aircraft around the sky, it is a baby Herc with two engines. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There are knuckleheads all around the world crying into their Jeremiah weed. Guys, <laughs> you may think that you have the biggest cojones of all because you fly jet jocks. This transport, I'll say it again, transport aircraft was doing a knife edge pass a loop and an aileron roll yeah. not a barrel roll they I, called it barrel but that was not that was, was an aileron, aileron roll. roll yep and guys for a transport he may not have the the raw power of a jet but he won over the hearts of a lot of the ground crew here and a lot of other people throwing that thing around doing impossible things yep. he did yes i think he spent too much time watching uh, our favorite matt hall out there and <laughs> just wanted to emulate some of the great moves so. well I'd, I'd never seen him do the loop before i'd never seen the, the knife edge pass uh, I think he pulled everything out over the last couple of days just to really throw it together. I think the highlight for me has been this whole week. It's been a week of stress at times. It's been a week of huge <laughs> concentration for me uh, and well for all of us really. But I've got to tell you guys, this has been, I, I can't remember when I've had so much fun. And uh, the prospect of going back to Metro Trains tomorrow and hopping in the train and doing night shift, I tell you what, it's uh, not looking too appealing, <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> well, look, you know. Uh, I know a lot of that stress was grant-induced stress. Uh, let's say that right up front. I've been throwing you all around the place and dragging your sorry ass and throwing things at you, some of which were not easy to edit. And I have learned a lot to how to make life easier for Steve when recording in the outdoors. But um, yeah, look, you know, my apologies for the grant-induced stress. They couldn't have done all this stuff without you. You have been a legend uh, at the edit desk. <laughs> Thank uh, you, mate. <laughs> the, the, the folks in the uh, media media room know you very well. Yeah. Uh, the big guy in the corner going hard at it, rec uh, editing away, while I get to go out and uh, sit on the wing of a CA-27 and go and have good old chats with warbird pilots and, and just yeah. really enjoy that area. We actually decided about midweek that uh, both of us doing interviews was... Um, whilst it would be preferable we decided that uh, Grant was going to field some on his own so that I could get back and start processing and actually uh, our routine now uh, we mentioned beforehand that um, you know we weren't able to get uh, any sort of reasonably priced accommodation on this side of Melbourne so we've been traveling from where we live way over on the other side about 120 kilometers one way and uh, so obviously that far again back each day it's been early mornings which I'm not designed for I can tell you <laughs> after five years of night shift uh, and uh, in fact it's been a matter of uh, standing out here in the car park after the media centre closed with the laptop running again, madly editing, squinting to see that screen because the sun was shining on it and uh, in fact on a few days it uh, was a matter of uh, Grant driving home while I was in camped in the back seat editing so that we could get these shows out uh, every night and uh, folks we certainly hope you've enjoyed it, uh, you know the, the coverage that we've given you, uh, nobody else has given you daily coverage of this air show not, we're, not via audio, that's Not for via sure. audio. And some video. And we're very, very proud of that. 
and uh, we, we really do hope you enjoy it. This show is not about us, it's, it's about uh, providing content for our audience. And uh, yeah, no, Grant, it's not about you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, before we close this episode off and stop congratulating ourselves, uh, we, we do need to uh, say a few more things. Yeah, sorry, mate. There's one more thing I'd like to say, and that is that despite everything, and while it may not have totally made it into the, the feel of the quick cast, we did manage to cover from the small to the big. Uh, we were in the B-52 and a lot of the other big military aircraft. Uh, we got the fast jets, but we also got the other end of the spectrum. We got the GA8 air van, which uh, yeah, you've heard that in one of the quick casts. I've also been around getting a few little snippets from some of the GARA guys and having a good chat with them about uh, their aircraft and recording a few minutes with each of them. So uh, we tried to get the whole spectrum. Uh, we probably haven't done justice to everything. We did get a few warbirds as well. So uh, yeah, we didn't manage to get anyone from Haas. We were just too flat out. So we'll go and see them separately. But uh, Well, we've made a lot of contacts here, Grant. And actually, oh, yeah. speaking of the Gibbs Aero one, that's looking like it's going to be the first ever PCDU air test because we've been invited to go down there. Chief pilot there's invited us to come so down. what are we doing tomorrow? Have a fly. Yeah, we should do it tomorrow. <laughs> So uh, we are seriously looking forward to that and we'll, we'll certainly be chasing yeah. that up. Now Grant, we've got a list to here of people that we really need to thank. Uh, first off, of course, is the people that run the show here. Uh, Ian Honnery, uh, you know, obviously he was in this episode. He's the CEO of Air Shows Down Under. Uh, Ian, we really want to thank you for, uh, you know, providing the access and most importantly uh, here at Lorene Deal. Yep, couldn't have done it without either of those people, but especially Lorene. She took the time to uh, actually uh, meet with us and get to understand where we were coming from, what we were doing. Didn't fall over laughing too much and uh, still allowed us to bring a team of four in. So that was brilliant. So thank you heaps to uh, Ian Honnery and Lorene Deal. Now, of course, we had a lot of uh, military liaison officers, very heavy military presence here to help celebrate the uh, 90th anniversary of the Royal Australian Air Force. So there's a number of uh, military liaisons here that we want to thank for getting us such incredible access. Yep, so starting uh, with the Raffies, uh, we've got Squadron Leader Louise Burr, uh, we've got Flight Lieutenant Sky Smith, and they're both from the RAAF. Uh, we've also had Gavin and Eamon. Uh, sorry guys, I don't have your surnames at, on, on hand, and uh, PJ and all the others in the, in the RAF team. It was great just meeting them, let alone being able to uh, have them help us with things. Uh, we also had uh, Lieutenant Campbell Newman from the RAN, and uh, from the uh, USAF. Yep, United States Air Force, we had uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hoffman, uh, uh, Colonel, sorry, I can't remember your first name, please forgive me, but uh, some, some really uh, great access that you helped provide. And the superstar, Master Sergeant Victoria, my United States Air Force legend, legend superstar. <laughs> we taught her how to speak Australian in some form. She now knows what a servo is. No, it's not a little electric motor. It's actually somewhere where you fill your car up with petrol. And she knows that Arvo means afternoon. Uh, she Vic knows what a lamington is, and that's great food. She has a slight and, Tim Tam addiction. Oh, she is totally hooked on Tim Tams. Uh, <laughs> but we couldn't get her to the Vegemite stage. I think if the air show went another week, we probably would have her eating Vegemite. So, but, uh, Master Sergeant, we expect you to come back here for Avalon 2013 and uh, you know be up on your Vegemite skills by then. <laughs> We'd also like to uh, thank our crew. Uh, Steve and Pam, absolutely brilliant work with the video on the four days that he was here. Uh, not only taking the video but then also editing it and creating those uh, those little uh, video summaries of each day that we put up on our YouTube channel. Mate, legend, absolute legend status. Uh, he really went above and beyond with that and we are really pleased and happy that he helped us out with that. Absolutely, a lot of work involved. I, you can tell you there's a lot of work involved in audio editing and video is a, you know, a whole new uh, 
a whole new level of a skill that, that I just don't have the time to master. But I've been noticing that uh, he's been putting those up at like half past four in the morning. Yeah. So uh, that's oh, wow. a mighty effort, Stephen. I yeah. really do appreciate it, mate. Yeah, and also, of course, Adam Vischer. And I'm saying this not just because he's standing here with his uh, mean <laughs> left hook getting ready or his haymaker, but no, Adam Vischer, mate, you, uh, you came through and had a great time on the weekends. You uh, tried to fill in for Stephen with the videoing and uh, you got some absolutely awesome photos. Uh, it's not all about the equipment, it's also about the loose nut behind the shutter. So uh, <laughs> thanks mate, and also uh, thanks for helping us uh, get our shirts together, so to speak. Uh, that's alright, I think everyone's looking quite sharp in the new shirts, and, and a few of the lucky listeners who managed to come down here and catch up, yep. maybe they'll be wearing their new hats with pride, so yep. and we'll have some more merchandise on the way later on. So. Cool. Absolutely. And of course we can't forget Anthony I sat in the captain's chair of a B-52 Simmons. <laughs> now we yeah, Anthony there we had we had a couple of concepts that we talked about for Anthony before we came down here and we thought we might actually get him to do the view from the lounge in the you know in the stand in the hospitality area. But uh, when Anthony got down here and we got him up in the B-52 and, and he's been around, he's been climbing all over the uh, the Sabre Jet and everything else, um, we've decided that uh, rather than do that. Uh, we just collect material for a, a whole new range of uh, views from the lounge segments coming up in shows. I've just been talking to Anthony on the phone recently. He's already got about three of them written. <laughs> That'd be right. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty scary to see how well the infrequent flyer uh, struck that hero pose on the nose of the Sabre. Uh, we'll have to put that photo up in the, uh, on the homepage, yeah, I think. Anthony is a very unique individual. He does a lot of work <laughs> for us. And uh, he also does a lot of uh, editing for me in the background, which a lot of people don't know. So, uh, you know. Great yeah. work, mate. Cool. And uh, moving along, we're going to uh, once again thank our sponsors, yep. especially Ben Morgan at Aviation Advertiser, our principal sponsor, who really helped make all this possible. Thanks, Ben. Yep. And we're looking forward to doing some more work with him. And uh, then there's uh, Joel Haskey at Red Baron. Yep. And, uh, and we do have to mention, of course, that you, you've heard the ads on all our quickcasts for uh, redbaron.com.au and uh, of course a special offer exclusive to Plane Crazy Down Under listeners mention Plane Crazy Down Under when you're booking an adventure flight with Joel at uh, Red Baron uh, for a 10% discount yep, say Plane Crazy Down Under, under as you get the uh, as you uh, book your adventure flight and they'll give you 10% I think that's pretty damn good also, Andrew Temby at Temby Automotive now uh, Andrew Temby is uh, Grant's favourite Yak 52 pilot uh, he came through and provided us with some sponsorship, and uh, Andrew, we really wanted to thank you for that, mate. Yeah, and thanks also for the guidance and advice, man. Really, really good. And uh, and one more person we need to mention now. Uh, we've been walking around here sporting a new and improved, very fancy corporate-looking uh, playing crazy down under uh, logo. That was designed for, by, for free by a friend of Adam's by the name of Dan Allen. Dan, it looks absolutely sensational. We love the way it looks, mate, and we really appreciate you doing that for us. Uh, it's, it's really helped to make a good impression down here at oh, Avalon. Definitely. Yeah. Now, now we've just got to get it up on the website and everywhere else. So <laughs> that'll happen in a month, knowing my, my uh, timelines. But uh, moving along the final section, we'd definitely like to thank the talent. Uh, we'd like to thank Andrea Samet from Scripts and Voices. Yep. She helped uh, put the adverts together for the uh, this episode. Mick the Voice McCoy for doing the intros and outros. Yeah. Uh, Mick's a friend of ours from the railways. He's got a, a great voice for doing this sort of stuff and uh, loving those uh, those intros. Anthony Simmons actually did a couple too. Uh, apologies to you, Anthony. I've just been so busy I didn't get time to uh, produce those ones, but uh, I, I'm sure he'll understand that. Richard Pollard, friend of mine, he's a radio announcer on 3GG, or was up until recently. I think he's uh, looking for some different opportunities now. Uh, he also voiced uh, the ads for Tembi Automotive uh, and also for Red Baron. 
Uh, uh, we'd also like to thank Max Flight, Stu Stevenson, and James Williams for doing some of the uh, sweepers yeah. that have been in the show. Yep. And uh, I'd just like to be a little bit self-indulgent here, Grant, just as we sign off. I'd like to thank my, thank my wife, Kathy for giving me a week's leave pass to come down here. <laughs> Kathy's had a really stressful week. Uh, most of our listeners uh, may not be aware, but uh, my wife uh, does a lot of competition cooking. She had a show uh, this weekend and she had one last weekend. Uh, she's been dealing with uh, one of our kids has been ill all week and uh, off school, so it's been a very, very busy week for Kathy. Uh, she's also been altering our shirts for us in the background at midnight. Uh, mighty effort, and I really wanted to give a big shout out to my wife for that. And uh, Grant, I'm sure uh, you'd say the same for your lovely partner, Kit. Oh, definitely. I have fiance. To... Yes, yeah, fiance. fiance, Kit. I... I have to say that uh, she has definitely allowed me a few uh, leave passes for this week and uh, uh, she and Nikolai have put up with the fact that I haven't really been around much at all and when I am I'm like hey, hang on. <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, to help make up for that we, uh, they came down with a couple of friends and spent the day here on site this Sunday and it's, they had a blast. I took them and a couple of friends out and we walked around the Warbird tarmac. I gave them the VIP tour. We got them into one of the planes. Uh, they got to sit in the cockpit and get some photos taken. And uh, we were flight, uh, on the flight line when a lot of the action was taking place. So they really enjoyed that. And I, I gotta admit, I kind of enjoyed just walking around and being able to just help people out and all that and not have to worry about recording another interview <laughs> and figure out what to ask. Yeah, so yeah, yeah it was good. So look, we're gonna wrap it up there, folks. Just in summary, as I said at the top of, uh, at the top of this, we came here to prove a point uh, that, that it could be done. We came to prove it to, uh, you know, the, the more traditional media types, but also to ourselves to see if we we're up to the task. It's been a huge challenge for us. We've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. We're going to get our heads together for a barbecue in a couple of weeks and do a bit of a post-action report. Yep. Uh, we really hope you've enjoyed the content that we've worked very hard to produce for you here, folks. Playing crazy down under at gmail.com with any suggestions and tips and feedback. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, to those of you that we met here at Avalon, and there was there were many of you, uh, a real thrill, and thanks for your support. We really appreciate it. That's it for our Avalon Quick Car series. We'll be back soon with another episode of Playing Crazy Down Under, but until then, just remember this. It's what's down, down under that counts. You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, recorded live at Avalon 2011. Proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, with classified ads starting as low as $39. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community, aviationadvertiser.com.au. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and our PCDU Twitter feed can be found at our website, playingcrazydownunder.com. Contact us with feedback, story ideas or advertising inquiries. Drop us a line anytime, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media podcast. Thank you.